If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. You can do it on a smartphone by a Bible app like the U version of the Bible, or you can also go to something like BibleGateway.com, or if you brought your biblical text with you, turn to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. We are in a sermon series we call Stop Overthinking It, and that's why we have a big stop sign here, because it is so easy for us to overthink things in life. Amen? It is. We just get ourselves preoccupied and ruminating on stuff and wondering about things and it can happen everywhere. Well, this morning, we have as a message, we're calling it FCC Strong. That's why we have the bracelets for you to pick up after worship. You can either pick them up as you're leaving, or if the kids have gone back to children's time, there will be children's ones that will be handed out to them also. Please feel if you know somebody that you think it could be helpful to give it to. Because FCC Strong certainly is a takeoff on the Live Strong or Boston Strong, but it's a reminder that we can face everything that life has to offer us because of our faith in Christ. So faith community, you're part of a church, you're part of a community that allows us to face the challenges of life because of what God will do to get us through and also the support we have from one another. Does that make sense? Hear that? Whatever you and I face, we can face it because God will get us through and we have a church family to support us. Amen? So that's what it is about being part of a local church. And so again, when we stop overthinking it, we realize that with God, with our faith, we can face all the challenges of life. And I was getting ready to prepare this message, and I started overthinking it. I started thinking about David's sermon last week. Here my son gets up and he preaches a sermon on s'mores. How do you top a sermon on s'mores? Come on, folks. Not only that, he's my son, and that illustration was just amazing. The idea that you can have the elements of s'mores, but it's not a s'more until it gets the fire, the spark that burns it, and it turns it into a s'more, and comparing that to the power of the Holy Spirit to take the substances of our Christian faith and God transforming them through love as we become believers and followers of Christ. Great sermon. Then all week I had people say to me, man, David did a good job last week. So I start thinking, well, that means i got to top it this week. Like, how am I going to compare to that? What am I going to do? Like, send everybody to Disney World? And then I paused and thought, stop it. You're overthinking it. But then I thought a little bit more about it. And I thought, and, and after all, anybody can make a s'more. Like, how tough is that? Come on. Why, there's not even great literature written about s'mores. So I went online and I Googled it, and I thought, I wonder if there's even been a book written about s'mores. Well, actually, there is. The name of the book is very interesting. It's called S'mores. Go figure. It came out March of last year. Now, I know that Lisa Adams did not know we were going into a pandemic, but imagine how fortunate this woman was. She put out a book on s'mores just as we were going into a pandemic, so people all over the country buy this book because everybody's sitting at home. What are you going to do? Make s'mores. So she did pretty well with that book, but it's certainly not considered great literature. And I even thought about movies. I thought, has there ever been a movie about s'mores? And I did come up with one. Anybody know before we put it up here? Sandlot, you got it. The Sandlot theme with s'mores. Where Ham Potter sits making a s'more. 
and says to his friend Smalls, hey, you want a s'more? And Smalls says, some more of what? Ham. No, don't you want s'more? I haven't had anything yet, Smalls says. How can I have more of nothing? So finally, Ham says, you're killing me, Smalls. These are s'more stuff, okay? First, you take the gram. Then you take the chocolate and you put it on the gram. Then you roast the mallow. When the mallow's flaming, you stick it on the chocolate. Then you cover it with the other end. Then you scarf it. Kind of messy, but good. Try some. Great scene about a s'mores, but not exactly great literature. And not really the stuff that totally inspires us. And then I thought about what I get to preach on this week. With God, we can face everything. Now there's something inspiring. That's why this morning we understand that we are able to overcome all that life throws our way. Do you hear that? You and I are able to overcome everything that life has to throw our way because of our faith in God, because we're part of a community, and God will get us through it all. And if that's not enough, I went back and I started thinking, well, that's even an amazing literary theme. Who can top the book Unbroken? The story of Louis Zamperini, the World War II prisoner, who was a miler when he was young, and then he take, gets taken as a prisoner of war, and he's able to overcome difficulties that we can't even fathom that he went through. Or how about movies? There's lots of movies that have the theme of overcoming. One of my favorites is Apollo 13. Any Apollo 13 movie fans in here? If you haven't watched it, go back and rewatch it. One reviewer put it this way, Apollo 13 is en route to the moon when the equipment failure causes the space capsule to lose oxygen. Can the crew perform the makeshift repairs and return to Earth? A thrilling story. Given the choice in life, we know that in the end, we are Christians. We are followers of Christ. And we can and will take the difficult road, and we will be okay. We know that God works in our lives and in our hearts, that no matter what, we can get through any difficulty. John F. Kennedy, inspiring a nation, said these words back in the early 1960s. He said, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. That is the God-given motivation that's within each of us. We are followers of Christ, and as Americans, we're inspired to do great things. As Christians, we know that no matter what life has to throw our way, and I can guarantee you there will be difficulties in life, we can and we will get through it. Yesterday was a gorgeous day. Anybody notice that? 70 degrees. And it's April. Who gets 70 degrees in April? Well, actually, let me tell you who gets 70 degrees in April. A couple that I did a wedding for outdoors yesterday. A year ago, they planned an outdoor wedding. April 24th, outdoors in Massachusetts. We could have had a blizzard. Instead, they got 70 degrees of weather. So I'm standing in front of the couple at the beginning of the service, and I had them turn around and look at everybody. And I said, look at 
Look at all these people dressed up here. They're all dressed nicely. Look at each other. Look at how handsome this man is, like all decked out in his suit and lovely how your bride is just beautifully adorned for this wedding day. And then I said, look at the weather. Who gets 70-degree weather in April? Oh, that life should be like a wedding day. I said, but the truth is it's not. As much as today is gorgeous and as much as everything looks perfect, we know that life has a lot of challenges that are going to get thrown your way. And then we talked about those challenges. Well, this morning is the same thing for each one of us. We can and will face difficulties in our life. Life is not always going to be easy. May I do a little jab back at my son? Great sermon. But life is not always going to be sitting at a campfire eating s'mores. Life has challenges, and it has frustrations, and it has things that we need to know that with God's help, we can and will overcome. That's why John writes to the church in Smyrna these words, beginning in verse 8. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they're Jews, but they're not. They're the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. But be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let us open in prayer. Heavenly Father, open our hearts this morning as we hear the words that were written to this church 2,000 years ago. And as we face the challenges and difficulties that come into our life, even if this morning we come here and things are going great for us, we know that there are times when we're going to face stuff that we kind of think we don't want to, but at the same time we know that you can get us through. Give us confidence to understand that Whatever comes our way, you watch over us, you guide us, and you do take us on this journey. Help us trust in you and hear these words in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm sure none of you came here this morning wanting a geography lesson, but I can't not ask the question. Does anybody know where Smyrna is? I heard somebody say Georgia. Is there a... No, I... Smyrna is a little town in modern-day Turkey. The city itself had died and come back by the time that John writes this letter. Literally, the town had quit being a town, and now it came back to being a town. And so he kind of has a double take in verse 8 when he talks about the one who died and came back to life, because on the one hand, that was part of their town history, but of course it also was a reference to Jesus who died and came back to life. But now when John writes this letter, this is a Roman community, and it also has the distinction of being the first Roman town to build a temple in honor of Tiberius Caesar, declaring him to be God. And if you know anything about the temple worship of the first century, the Caesars decided that they needed to be bowed down to as God, not like God, but be declared God. And so temples started to be erected, this being the first one. This also then led to the great persecution of the Christians. 
eventually so far as to when this letter was written in 95 AD under Domitian. Because what ended up happening, it became a crime punishable by death to refuse to worship the image of a Roman emperor as Lord. Think of that. Think of all the ways in which you and I are sort of asked to compromise in our life. This was different. This was literally that people were told, if you do not bow down to Caesar, your life will be taken from you. And so the Christians had a choice to make. They knew that they could bow a knee to no one but God, but if they didn't bow to Caesar, they would be put to death. So they could choose physical life or physical death and spiritual life. And thus the great persecution of the church happened. So much so that Smyrna became sort of the center of many of the terrible tales that we hear of early Christians who were put to death in the 150 A.D. Polycarp of Smyrna, who had been a bishop, ended up being burned at the stake. And he was told, if you renounce Christ and just acknowledge that Caesar's God, you can live. To which Polycarp said, no, for 80 and three years I've served my Savior. He hasn't failed me yet. And with those words, his life was ended. Talk about trials. Talk about struggles. You know, we will not face what the Christians did in Smyrna, but their faith inspires us. Because you and I as Christians need to know that no matter what we face, we can get through. My suggestion this morning is not only do we know that, we want to choose that in our life, because as much as we like to say that we wish that life would be easy, that's really not true. It's really that we want to know that we are up to the tests that come our way. And so when John begins this letter, he begins by helping the people have proper focus. Here again, verse 9. John says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Do you hear that? That's a matter of focus. John writes to this church and he says, I know, I know the problems you have. I know that you're persecuted. I know that you're poor. But remember, keep your focus proper. You're rich. You see, when we go through difficulties in life, we get to choose what to focus on. You and I get to choose where our eyes are focused. And if I have a problem and I focus on the problem, I'm going to be torn down by the problem. If I have an economic problem and I'm just constantly dwelling and thinking about the economic problem, that's going to take me down. Same thing's true with health issues. It doesn't matter what we face that's the challenge in our life. If our mind gets consumed with that negative thing, we're going to go right down the drain with it. And what John helps the Christians understand, we get to choose where our focus is. Amen? Listen to this again. You and I get to choose what we focus on. We get to choose to focus on God, who's our Savior, who watches over us and works with and through us. That's why this church was persecuted, and by first century standards, they were poor. The word tribulation that is used here to describe the suffering that they go through was used 45 times in the New Testament, talking about the struggles that we go through as Christians. It was used first by Jesus in the parable of the four soils, in which he said, we need to make sure that we are rooted in God and our faith is strong and we are growing as believers because otherwise, Jesus says, when the tribulations of life come along, 
we're going to fade away. We're going to get trampled underground. We're not going to make it. So what John is referring to here is the fact that now that kind of tribulation that Jesus talked about, these people are going to face, we're going to face, and we're going to be able to do it with victory. What's the difference? What's the difference? Why is it that some are able to face the challenges of life and completely welt and it totally destroys them? And others are able to face the things that life has to offer us. Keep a smile on the face. Keep faith in God. And continue to keep going. If there's anything I've learned as a pastor over all of these years, I started out back in 1983, as I have seen Christians in churches that I serve face things that nobody should have to face. And continue to do it with victory and with satisfaction and with joy and with a full, complete knowledge that God is in control. Why? It's what Jesus teaches. It's where our focus is. That's why John reminded these people, I get it. You're materially poor. I get it. People are probably, in the first century, making fun of these people, saying, can you believe these Christians over here? Like, all they got to do is bow down to Caesar. All they have to do is acknowledge that he's God, and they get to live. And instead, they're living for him and dying for him. What's the difference? What allows a person to stay focused? It's a choice. They had a focus on the fact that they were spiritually rich. John said, stop focusing on what you don't have and start focusing on whose you are and what you do have. Remember our story of Louis Zamperini? The way in which he was able to focus and get through World War II is not by focusing on what was negatively happening to him, but keep focus on who he was and the strength that he had within. Later, after World War II, he became a great evangelist in the, in the church. Became part of the Billy Graham Association. He came to faith in Christ and shared his story over and over and inspired others. Because when we focus just on the negative that this world throws our way, it's going to take us down every time. But when we are able to focus and choose to keep our focus on what God is doing and the ways in which that God is going to get us through, it doesn't matter, folks, what comes our way. We're going to be able to get through it. A number of years ago, I chose to run my one, and may I add these two words, and only marathon. I got to the end of the marathon, and my family looked at me and said, so you're going to do that again? I go, never. They go, oh, no, you probably will. I go, no, never. Trust me, one was enough. But when I was getting ready to run that marathon, I knew that I was going to have to go 26.2 miles and I started thinking about who I wanted to talk to to sort of give me an inspiration. And of course, the first person who came to mind was my brother. Now you say, why is that? Well, he'd run the Boston Marathon twice. First time, he did pretty well. He ran it in just under four hours. And then the second time he ran it, he did a little bit better. He ran it in three hours and 45 minutes. But that's not why I wanted to talk to him. My brother was a doctor. He's passed away a few years ago, but he was a doctor at the time. And somewhere around mile 12, he said, oops. Now, if you're a doctor and you're running the Boston Marathon and you say, oops, that's probably something wrong, 
At that moment, he suffered a stress fracture in his foot. And he said it was incredibly painful the rest of the race. So I wanted to talk to my brother to see, how do you get through the pain of a marathon? Because you know who knew how to get through the pain of a marathon? My brother. Not just because of the marathon, but he ran it on a broken foot. And I said, did it hurt? He said, yeah, it killed me. I said, do you ever think of stop going? He goes, no, never. I said, how did you keep going? He said, I quit focusing on the pain, and I focused on the fact of all the work that I'd done to get ready for the marathon. I said, yeah, but did it, like, really hurt? He goes, oh, yeah, it really hurt. I said, didn't it make you want to stop? He said, absolutely not. I quit focusing on the pain, and I thought about all the work I'd done to be a marathoner. That's what John's telling us as Christians. We get absorbed with all the negativity in the world around us. We start overthinking everything. We start obsessing over how to change this and change that, things that we have no control over. We start asking ourselves, why me? How did I fail again? Why didn't I say something different in that situation? Why do I have such bad luck? But instead, what the scriptures tell us is to stop focusing, folks, on what we don't have and start focusing on the fact that we are rich in Christ. Do you hear that? You're wealthy. Wealthy beyond means because the Holy Spirit is in your life. If you and I trust and give our lives to Christ, we're transformed from the inside out. And instead of focusing on what we don't have, John told the people in Smyrna, you can get through this. It doesn't matter what the Roman government's going to throw your way. You're going to make it. We know they made it because centuries later, that church continued to be there and continued to thrive. Child of God. Saved by grace, forgiven, a person of worth, spiritually rich. Those are the things that we are asked to look at about ourselves when we start facing the things we don't like in life. When life isn't just a 70-degree 70 70 wedding at Waverly Oaks on a beautiful April day with everybody dressed up, and a personal attendant making sure that we look great. It's a matter of focus. How about you today? Where's your focus? Where's your focus when life gets hard? Where's your focus when things get difficult? Because the next thing that we learn out of this letter is about fear. Fear is the thing that will take us down every time. And so John says in verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Hear that? Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Over and over and over in Scripture, we are told it does not matter what others do and how others come at us or what pains or sufferings or bad things we go through in life, we never need to be afraid. We are Christians and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it does not matter the difficulties that life has to offer us. We can and we will be victorious and we will get through. Amen? The word that's used for fear is the word phobio. You know that word. You get the word phobia out of it. John uses it, interestingly, in the imperative sense. That means it's a command. John commands the people not to be afraid. Now, if you think about it logically, you don't command somebody to do something that they can't do. That means fear is a choice. 
John would not be commanding people not to be afraid if they just had to be afraid and they had no choice over it. Yesterday, let's go back to talking about s'mores. Not only did I gorge myself with chocolate all week and just blame my son for it, for putting that obsessive thought in my mind about eating chocolate and marshmallows, but then last night we had s'mores as a family. So we sat around the little fire table and, and we're cooking our s'mores. And my granddaughter's there. Ruby's less than two. And mom and dad commanded her. Don't get too close to the fire. Now, the reason they say don't get too close to the fire is they knew they could keep her away from getting close to the fire, right? You tell kids something that you know they can do. They didn't say, Ruby, fly across the, the yard. They didn't say, Ruby, go drive the car. They said, Ruby, don't get too close to the fire. When we command something, it's because it's a choice. The scripture over and over and over and over, 365 times, commands us, do not be what? Afraid. Do not be what? Do not be what? Do not be afraid. It's a command. It's a choice of our will. I can choose to be afraid, or I can choose not to be afraid. Years ago, I had a 77-year-old woman who was in our church who was suffering from macular degeneration and her eyesight had now gotten to the point where she couldn't watch television. Now you need to understand this woman was the biggest Bruins fan I've ever known. And so I would talk to her about it and I said, so what do you do? And she said, well, I still turn on the Bruins. I can hear them, but I can't see them. She was also a very incredibly faith-filled woman. A woman that it didn't matter, it seemed, that what life would give her. She just always was optimistic and positive and just kept going. And so, young pastor that I was, I asked her the basic question, are you afraid? She goes, oh, no. Oh, no, Pastor Stan, I'm not afraid. She said, I learned from my mother years ago, this too will pass. 77 years old, losing her eyesight. She wasn't talking about this too will pass in this life, but she knew that no matter what happened to her eyesight in this world, that she was a child of God, that she was grace-filled, powered by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, saved, sanctified, living forever. And although her eyesight was not going to be restored in this life, she knew that 25 million years from now, she really was going to be thinking back and saying, oh, yeah, that's right. For a temporary time, I lost my eyesight. Be afraid, she said. I don't need to be afraid. I know whose I am, and I know who I serve. That's what John is telling the church at Smyrna, and that's the word for us today. We need to understand no matter what we face, we have nothing to be afraid. There's nothing that anybody can do to a Christian. There's nothing anybody can do to a Christian. The worst that, worst that can happen is we can be the people at Smyrna, and we're hopefully never going to be the people at Smyrna, but you even take my life away, I go to glory. As the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, that is not a statement that we don't want to live. We want to live our life, and we want to live it fulfilled, and we want to know that no matter what we can and we will get through, and the vast majority of things that we face, we're going to get through in this life. But no matter what, we're still Christians. We're still followers of Christ. 
There is absolutely nothing to cause us to live in fear. However, we live by faith. We trust God. We put our lives in control of the one who created us. Billions of years ago, before this world was ever around, God had his mind to create you, to make you, and to make me. And to realize that when we would go uh, the wrong way, that his son would come and provide a, a forgiveness for us. We are now invited simply to live by faith, to trust. As John says, again in verse 10, you may be tested, and for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Tested for 10 days. He said, remember, even the worst of anything that happens, it has an end to it. It's interesting, the word that John uses here for tested is the same word that he uses in his gospel to talk about Jesus being tested how long? 40 days in the wilderness. So John is reminding us, no matter what we face, no matter how difficult anything is, have faith, trust. You'll get through it. It will be on the other side. We will get beyond. Health issues, we'll get through them. Job insecurities, they will pass. Financial issues, God will guide us and will get us through. Marriage problems, stay faithful. You can get through them. Problems with children, trust God. Give them over to God. This too shall pass. It's how we're invited to live our lives. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ Jesus was tested for 40 days, and he got through it. Our testing is less than what Jesus faced. The issue is learning to live by faith. I've often compared living by faith to sitting down in a chair, and I noticed that everybody who came into worship today, you all just came in and you sat down. You didn't overthink it. You didn't, you didn't check to see who manufactured the pew that you were sitting in. You didn't even compare the pew that you were sitting in to the person who's sitting in another pew. You just sat down. That's what faith is. Faith is just trusting and acting and realizing that no matter what, not only can we face the difficulties in life, we want to face the difficulties in life. You see, God created inwardly within us the ability to know that we don't want life to be easy. We don't want everything just to be simple. We sometimes act and talk as if we do, but that's not who we are and what we want to be. We know that what we ultimately want is a relationship with God in which we know that the challenges of this life are going to be there, but we are going to trust and we are going to get through it. Which got me thinking back to my childhood and the park across the street from where I lived. In the town in which I grew up in, I could look out my bedroom window and there was a park we called it the rock garden and in the rock garden there was a basketball court and as soon as the weather was nice you could bet that I was over there as late as I could in the evening until I had to go home and go to bed and I was shooting baskets also in the time in which I went to school I was in a school in which a special education program was in our school but they kept the special ed children completely separated from everyone else. I was talking to David about this, and he's a special ed teacher, and he said, you know, yeah, a lot of that really changed in the 1990s when we started going to inclusion classrooms and started realizing 
that everybody needs to have the same opportunities in education, and kids started to get to know each other. But that's not what it was like when I was a kid. So when I went to school, I loved playing basketball. I went over to the park and played as often as I could. And I went to school, and I got to know my friends, and there were other kids that I would see, but I never knew. I'd see them around the school, but we were kept separate. We didn't eat together. We didn't go on the playground together. We didn't have classes together. Until one summer, I happened to be out at the court, like I was every other day, and a kid named Frankie that I had seen many times at school, but had never met, was out shooting baskets. And I went out, and I asked Frankie if I could shoot with him, and that summer, he and I became friends. He tossed me his basketball, and I looked at it, and written on the basketball in big letters were these three things. It said 1,000 points, North Dakota State Champions, MVP. And I said, why did you write that on your basketball? And he said, anytime I play basketball, I like to think that I've scored 1,000 points for our high school basketball team. I'm the most valuable player, and I won the state championship. And I realized that Frankie and I had everything in common. And all summer, we kept winning that state championship over and over and over as we became better friends. But Frankie taught me something that I think we all need to understand. We all need to know we can face the challenges. We can be the MVP. We can score the 1,000 points. We can win the state championship, not because we're great or we're smarter than someone else or we know better, but because we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, who lives within our heart, and no matter what we face, we can get through. It's not just that we are going to have struggles in life. We embrace the fact that there are struggles in life. We don't run away from them. We don't cower in fear. We don't say, why me, and how come I have such bad luck, and why do other people have it better than me? We embrace the fact that with God, we can and will get through everything. Amen, folks? That's who we are. That's who the church in Smyrna was, and that's who we are. So this morning, as we leave after our closing song, I want you to think about the fact that we really don't want our lives to be easier. We want to just know that we can face the challenges. We want God to show us that through faith that we are strong and we can get through everything. That's why we gave you a little symbol, and I hope you take them with you. And if you have somebody that you know that you'd like to give one to, please give them to. They're just simple. They just say FCC Strong. Faith Community Church. Not because our church makes us strong, but because God makes us strong. And our church is just part of the tools that God uses in our life to give us the support to get through any challenges that we face. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your goodness. We thank you that no matter what we face, that Jesus is with us and watching over us and guiding us and getting us through. Help us to not live by fear, but to live by faith. Help us to embrace the fact that the challenges of life are always going to be there. And you call us to live faithfully and to know but our focus needs to be on you and the victory that we have in you. Help us trust you. Help us trust you as firmly as we do when we just sit down in a chair and know that it's going to hold us up. But even more so, we know that you will guide and get us through. We come this morning and we could have problems that maybe seemed overwhelming. 
could be something in our family, it could be something in our own personal lives, it could be someone that we love and care about. Help us trust you. And know once again that you are God and more than able to guide us through every path. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.